As we get into the message today in Ephesians 2, I also want to share just some personal lessons from the journey. I think it's important to know why we call ourselves a live Christian fellowship and what God has done in the past that's going to take us into the future. It's only been God's grace. It is God's grace and it is by God's grace that we can say the best is yet to come and that the best years of a live Christian fellowship are before us and they are not behind us. It's so amazing to know that because we're just getting started and as we go to Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to share as a form of introduction just four key lessons that I've learned throughout this time, throughout this journey, that I think that can help you and that can assist you, even you, wherever you are in life right now. You see, the number one lesson that I've learned the last three years and that we've seen together is that where God guides, God provides. Do you believe that today, that where God guides, God provides? Amen. You can praise Him for that. Absolutely. You see, it's His church. And He honors steps of faith. This word says that we walk by faith and we don't walk by sight in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. That means that when we follow God into that place of faith, He will provide for us every step of the way. Where God guides, God provides. Number two lesson that will really uphold you, not only in ministry but also in your life, is that we ought to always allow our faith to rise above our fears. How many times has your fear held you back from what God wants to do in your life? How many times have you been wanting to step out in faith and really see God move in your life or really see Him do something, but you are fearful or hesitant as to whether or not to take that step of faith? And I believe really if you live your entire life without taking steps of faith, that never fully trusting God, never taking risks, taking steps of faith, that you never will experience what God has for you fully. God has called you to take steps of faith so that you can know Him now and see His miracles and His wonders as you take those steps of faith. You see, it is days like this that we remember and that we celebrate God's faithfulness in the past that we can look forward to God's promises in the future. It is God's faithfulness in the past that give us the certainty of the promises that He has for us in the future. You would ask yourself, what is His promises? Lesson number three. His promises in Christ are yes and they are amen. His promises in Christ Jesus for your life are yes and amen. That means that God has a future. That means that God has a hope. That means that God has a plan right there where you are in life. And He wants to use your life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For the promises of God in Him, in Christ, are yes and in Him are amen for the glory of God through us. You see, because His promises are yes and amen, you no longer have to live defeated. You no longer have to live in pain. You no longer have to live in discouragement of what's going to take place if I actually step out or if I don't, is God going to provide? I don't have to live that way, neither do you. We don't have to live in defeat. We can live in the grace of God now. His grace is so sufficient and He is everlasting faithful to us. 
You see, no longer fear, no longer failure or pain of the past now has this bound. Because in Christ you have hope today. And because in Christ you can have healing today of whatever circumstance that is. His promises for your life are yes and they are amen. One of the verses that I really love and I hold on to and I lean in every time I face a tribulation or in the last three years when thinking about whether or not God was going to see us through is Philippians 1.6 where it says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Maybe God started a good work in you and you're saying, well, Lord, how is it that you're going to do that good work in my life right now here where I am? He who began that work is going to complete that work because that is a work of God. And He's doing a work in you. Lesson number four that I've learned first, God guides, God provides. Lesson number two, that your faith should rise above your fears and allow God to take you out into that place of uncertainty to use you. Lesson number three was that His promises for you are yes and amen. And lesson number four is that He is doing a new thing. How many of you guys believe that God is doing a new thing? Amen. Do you want Him to do a new thing for your life? He wants to do a new thing in your life today. And regardless of the circumstances that you're in, He wants to do something new. Have you ever looked forward to something new in your life? Maybe an event and you're counting down the days. You cannot wait because this event is going to culminate and you are excited. You have prepared yourself mentally in your heart for this event that's going to take place. Well, God wants to do a new thing in your life today. You see, so many times in our nature, we have the tendency of living in the victories of the past. Of living in the pain of the past. And we never experience what God wants to do with us today and right now. Because we think back to the glory days. Oh Lord, you were so good back then. I wish that I can go back in time. Or maybe it was something that happened in your life in the past that you have just held on to for such a long time. And you don't allow God to do something in you right now. You see, when the nation of Israel was in bondage to Babylon... The Lord through the prophet Isaiah gave them a promise and that promise still rings true to us today right now. He said, behold, don't remember the former things. Don't be stuck in living in the victories or the pain of the past. Do not remember the former things nor consider the things of old. Don't, don't go back and live in the pain of the past. Don't go back and say, well, I wish I could live in the glory days of what God did for me. And I think sometimes we do that. We live in the victories of yesterday when God wants to do something new today. He said, nor consider the things of old. Forget about those things. In fact, even the good things or the bad things, behold, he says, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You see, sometimes we feel in our Christian walk that we are in the desert. We feel very thirsty, very dry in the season that we're in in life. Maybe we feel in the wilderness where we're lost, where we have no direction. In Isaiah, the Lord says, stay in step with what the Spirit of God is doing because He's going to protect you in the wilderness. He's going to provide for you in the desert. And He is going to guide you in every circumstance. 
And sometimes we say, Lord, well, you can't do it. Look at the circumstances that are taking place in my life. There's no way that this promise of you doing a new thing can actually take place in my life because my marriage looks this way, because my health looks this way, because the finances don't add up every single month. There is no way that you can fulfill that promise in my life. There's obstacles to fulfill that promise. Well, let me tell you something today. He has resources and he has plans that you don't even know about today. He has a way where you think there is no way. We cannot live so focused on the past that we miss out on what God wants to do for you today. See, he describes two seasons, wilderness season, and he describes a season in the desert. And I don't know what season you've come in today. Maybe you've come in a season where you are discouraged. Maybe you've come in a season where you feel defeated. Maybe you've come in a season where anxiety and depression have held you down for too long. Maybe you've come in a season today where you feel that the emotional pain is too much and that you want to end the battle and you want to just give up on this and you want to quit so that you don't have to struggle any longer. Well, I want to tell you that it's always too soon to quit. I remember so many times telling my wife, you know what, we were doing a small Bible study and seeing the attendance fluctuate and whatnot and asking and questioning the call of God and seeing what is it the Lord want to do, I would tell her, you know what, just tell him that tonight was the last time we did that Bible study. <laughs> and somebody would call throughout the week and would say, hey, are you having that Bible study this week because we want to show up and tell him, all right, I tell him that this week is the last one then. <laughs> and here we are again. Why? Because if you quit... You're not allowing yourself to grow and to bear the fruit of your labor. I'll tell you right now, if you're going through a situation, there are some lessons that can only be taught through perseverance. There are some lessons that could only be taught through perseverance because perseverance is what shapes our character. And maybe right now God is teaching you perseverance because He's trying to shape your character. You see, perseverance is the school to building character. And that's why no matter what we're going on in life, we say, Lord, today as I build and I am leaning into perseverance, Lord, build my character. And while perseverance builds character, also character is producing hope. You see what character does as you're persevering? It's producing hope in your life. So that you know that you have hope in the promises of God and His Word. In Romans 5 it says, And not only this, but we glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. The tribulation, the season, the wilderness, the desert, anything, the anxiety, the depression, the wanting to give up and to quit, the discouragement, all that is producing perseverance. The lack of funds, the marital problems are producing perseverance in the Lord that are producing character and that character is producing hope. Now hope does not disappoint. Know that God keeps His promises. Sometimes we think, well, Lord, I have so many people have failed me in life and I'm just tired of hearing promises that never come to pass. Well, God always keeps His promises. And that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that it was given to us. You know what perseverance tells you and teaches you in your life about character? That everything takes time to grow and everything takes time to produce. In those days where you cannot see visible fruit, invisible character is being produced while you persevere. Well, you say, Lord, I can't see the visible fruit. But the invisible character is being produced in your life. The only way to overcome discouragement, if you come that way today... 
is through perseverance in the Lord. It's through endurance. And I wanted to share you those lessons that God guides you and God provides for you. If He called you to do something, understand this, that even if you're going through the desert, and even if you're going through the wilderness, He's going to make a way and He's going to give you a stream there to provide for you. That your faith should always be above your fears. That His promises for you are yes and amen to know that. And also to understand and to know that He wants to do a new thing in your life. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, I'm going to read this. And it says, And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and in sins. And it says here, verse 2, In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of who, him who now works in the sons of disobedience. And it says, Among those who were once conducted themselves here, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, who is so merciful, because of His great love, which, which He loved you, even when, it says, we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and you have been raised up together and made you sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, it would say. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceedingly riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any of us or anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works in, that He created and prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your grace. We thank you today, Lord, because the best is yet to come. We thank you, Lord, because you reached down to us, Lord. And because of your grace, we are today alive. Because of your grace, we can have Christian fellowship together. Because of your grace, Lord, we are now reconciled to you. It is in Jesus' name we pray, and together we said. Amen. You see, the grace of God is amazing. The grace of God is what brought us here and what brought you here. The grace of God, it's what held you in this point of your life so far up until this point now. And the grace of God is what's going to take you now to the next place in your life. I like what Paul does here in the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. Because in the first 3 verses, he tells us and he reminds us what God saved you from. You see, it's so interesting when you hear now even the testimony of Albert and Brandy that God has done something so powerful and where God has pulled us from. That's just a story. Where God is taking us now to though. You see, in the first three verses that God pulled us out in verse 1 through 3 and in verse 4 through 10, He told us first He saved us from, this is he, what He saved us for. God did not only save you from a life in the world, He also saved you for a purpose and for a plan. Yesterday I was at the park and talking to some brothers and one of the brothers tells me, did you know that I used to belong to a gang and it had so-and-so's name in that area of town here in San Gabriel Valley? He said, but you look at that brother over there? He also belonged to a gang and that gang 
belonged to that part of the city and it had a different name. And, and back then we were enemies, we were rivals, we hated each other. If we'd seen each other in the streets, we'd probably want to fight. We'd probably want to start an altercation and, and we'd probably even end up in, in, in the gang situations with someone killing one another. But now we love each other. But now we are eating together. Now we're serving God together. Now God has transformed our lives and two people from two different gangs have come together because God has done a new thing. You see, God can do a new thing in your life as well. You see, it says here, and you he made alive. Why you? He's talking about all of us. God reconciled us through his grace. I love the grace of God because everyone's welcomed in the grace of God. I love the grace of God because nobody's perfect. That's what the grace of God tells us. I love the grace of God because it teaches us that anything is possible because of the grace of God. Because Jesus is alive. Everyone is welcomed. Nobody is perfect. Anything is possible because Jesus is alive. You see, it says in verse 1, You He made alive who were dead. When were we dead? You would ask yourself. We were dead in our trespasses and we were dead in our sins. And He made us alive because of sin. Sin separated us from the Lord and we were dead spiritually. It speaks to us. We were dead lost. We were dead in pain. We had no hope. We were completely filled with hurt and dealing with the separation of distancy from true life with God. We were completely apart from Him. Because of what it says? Because of trespasses and sins. Trespasses and sins, what that encompasses together, it encompasses failures and, and disobedient sins. Because the idea behind trespasses, it means that we willfully disobeyed God and His boundary of obedience when He drew the line through His Word. That is a trespass. We willfully said, we're going to cross the line. And the idea behind sin is that we have missed the mark of perfection of God's perfect standard. We have failed to miss that mark. You see, trespasses speaks of us being a rebel, while sin speaks of man's failure. Before God, we were both rebels and failures. We failed to miss the perfect mark of perfection, and we were rebels when we disobeyed God and what He wanted for us. It says, in which you once walked, verse 2, according to the course of this world. You were walking, you were living. It says, talks about all of us controlled by the world, controlled by Satan, controlled by the flesh. You once walked, this is past tense, according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You see, you are walking just like the world is saying, with the same spirit that works in the sons of disobedience. That spirit of disobedience, it would speak of, was working in your life, and you were dominated by the prince of the power of the air. We know that that's the devil. You see, it says the prince of the power of the air that we were living just like the world because he is the commander of now this world and this is his domain. This is his realm. This is his environment. And we were dominated and controlled by the things of the flesh. That's, that was our life. That was our story. And the spirit of disobedience was living in us. When we rejected the Lord, the spirit of disobedience was living in us. When we refused to obey God. Verse 3 speaks of this, and it says, Among whom also we once, again in the past, conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature here children of wrath, just as others. Why were we children of wrath? You see, the word children of wrath means that 
The Lord's anger was upon the sin that was taking place in our lives. And by nature, we were following that sinful lust. By nature, that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to follow and pursue that sinful nature. And whatever it is that, we, that led us away for our pleasure and, and for whatever sin that was drawing us away, we would just follow it. We were being dominated by the spirit of disobedience and controlled now by the environment of the devil, it would say. And this is what provoked God's anger. But I love what happens here from verses 4 through 10 because the story changes. You know how the story changes because it says, but God. It says, but God. Isn't that amazing? Because this is the turning point to your destiny now. That God intervened. And if it hadn't been for His divine intervention, we would still be dead in our sins and trespasses. If God hadn't stepped in, if God did not step into your marriage, if God didn't step into that financial situation, or in your life as an individual, we would still be living a life in the world. But God, this is amazing. Because it says here, verse 4, but God... Who is rich in mercy. I love that it didn't say, but God who is cheap in mercy. <laughs> How many of us have forgiving people and we're kind of, you know, cheap when it comes to mercy? <laughs> we want mercy to be extended toward us, but we don't want mercy to be extended from us. And we want to say, Lord, I am righteous enough, Lord. I'm worthy enough that you would forgive me, but we don't want to extend that mercy. Well, think about this. Think about the mercy, the forgiveness of God, that God did not give you what you actually deserved. That is mercy. The God who is rich in mercy when it comes to forgiveness. And I love how rich He is because it doesn't matter how far. And you would say, you know what? Well, He is rich, but I am so far out there that there is no way that He can touch me. No, He is so rich that it doesn't matter how far. And it says in verse 5, a God who is rich in mercy... Because of His great love. Isn't that amazing? Because of His great love. His, was, he was motivated by love always for you and towards you. Because God who is rich in mercy because of His great love, which He loved us. Think about that, that He loved you even when you were living as a son of disobedience. Think about that He loved you even when we failed Him. Think about that He loved you even when we were a rebel and we turned our back in pride. And He still loved us, it says, verse 5, who is rich in mercy, He loved us. And if you like taking notes in your Bible, verse 5 are two power words. Even when. <laughs> you see, we love to love people when they're lovable. <laughs> Have you ever loved someone when they give you a hard time and they make everything and give you every reason on why not to love them? <laughs> and some of you are looking to your husband right now like, yeah, that's how I feel right now. <laughs> but God loved us. Even when, even when it says here, we were dead in rebellion, even when we were in sin. I want you to know this, that He didn't love you at your best only. He started loving you even at your worst. That's how much He loves you today. And He loved the unlovely that were the children of wrath. Even when we gave Him absolutely no reason to love us, His love is so great and He loves us in spite of our sin. You see what I love about this is that this is when God started to love us. He didn't wait till we became lovable. Even when we were in trespasses, he, even when we were providing nothing for Him to love us, He still loved us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it said, But God demonstrated His own love. He didn't demonstrate someone else's love. He demonstrated His own love toward us that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even then He died for you. 
Isn't that amazing to be able to think about that, to understand that, that even when I was so far off, even when I had a vile mind, even when we were rejecting the Lord, when we said yes to sin and no to Christ, even then He still loved you and He cares about you and has a purpose in your life. And it says in verse 5, even then He made us alive. You were dead in sins, but He made you alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You see, first He talks about the mercy of God. Then He talks about the grace of God. How did He make you alive? He made you alive in Christ Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross and then He went to the tomb and He walked out of that tomb, He overcame through the resurrection sin and death. And because He has the power over sin and the power over death, He made you alive together with Christ. And by His goodness, by His grace, you have been saved. It is because God is so good that you have been saved. It is His grace that has saved you. And then it says, verse 6, not only did He make you alive because you are His work today, He made you alive, then He raised you up, here it says, but then it says in verse 6, and He raised up to us together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, He did three things for us. It was the flesh, it was the devil, and it was the world that separated us from God. But then it was His mercy, and then it was His love, and it was His grace that saved us. It made us alive together with Him. It raised us up together with Him. It made us sit in a heavenly place with Him because His love for us was so great. His Word says that for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in verse 8 it says, For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Isn't that amazing? For by grace you have been saved. It's been the grace of God that has saved you. It has been His goodness. It is not of ourselves. It is not of our works. Lest anyone should boast. It would say. It was the kindness of God. And if we go back even in verse 17. It says that in the ages to come. He saved us. So in the future. In the ages to come. The, he may show the exceedingly riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He saved us so that even in the future. He can now use us as an example of His grace. To display His grace and His mercy to everyone around us. That His grace and His mercy is active in our lives. And for by grace you have been saved through faith. Lest anyone should vote. A lot of people say, well, I'm saved because I'm a pretty good person. And I feel like I'll go to heaven because I'm good. But your goodness is still not enough. You need His goodness to make it to heaven. You see, and it's you putting your faith in that goodness that He has displayed and He has offered for you that you can have that salvation. It is the grace of God. His grace is amazing. His grace makes us alive. It is a gift of God. We can't take credit for it. It's a free gift. Has somebody ever given you a free gift and you try to brag about it, right? You always know that person that brags about that car when their parents bought them that car. <laughs> you always know that person that got that at home and they start to brag about it when it was given to them. It's a free gift. You see, if we want to brag about something, we brag about the grace of God. It is the grace of God that has saved us and that has kept us. And in verse 9, when it talks about His grace, He says, Not of works, lest anyone should boast. It, it's not of works that we can boast about it. You see, our works today, the way we live our lives, our works are not so that we can earn salvation. Our works in our life are a response to His grace. 
In fact, we do our works because we are already saved and we want to stay close to the grace of God. And that's what it talks about. It says, not of works lest anyone should boast. Salvation is not about your work, but salvation is about the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's exactly what, how, what this grace means. His goodness is always good enough. And I love what grace does because grace eliminated you having to prove yourself in front of God. Oh, look, God, I'm good enough. And grace eliminated you needing a validation. Grace eliminated you needing approval. You know, sometimes we struggle in life today, especially more now that we live in a culture, social media driven now world. We, we seek to validate ourselves on the basis of comparing ourselves to somebody else. We seek to have the, want the validation of this world. We seek to want to have the validation in front of people. You know what grace does? It says you don't need a validation. You don't need any approval. You don't have to prove yourself because Jesus already proved himself for you when he went to the cross and he said, this is the grace, the love that I have for them. This is the finished work. They don't have to prove themselves. Christ already did the work. And then verse 10, as we culminate, it says, for we are his workmanship. I love this word. You see, workmanship speaks almost of an artist. Workmanship speaks of the word we are his masterpiece. You see, you always know when you go to a gallery, which are the important pieces, right? But then about what about when an artist takes you back into a special place in his gallery and he opens up this special room that, is, that he has his masterpiece and his work that is so valuable and so worth much money. In fact, that word masterpiece comes from the word or the Greek word poema where we get the word poem. You are his poem. You are his masterpiece. It would say here in verse 10, created in Christ Jesus. You are the poem that he created in Jesus. You know why he created you in Jesus? Because he created you according to his image. He wrote that poem, he wrote that story through the lens of Christ, through the lens of the cross, so that you can look like Jesus and reflect the image of Christ. But why did he create that poem? It says here, in Christ Jesus, for good works, for the God's will, for those good works that God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. You see, God had prepared a special plan beforehand because of his grace. And because he prepared that plan beforehand, he prepared that plan, those works, that will for your life. He prepared it so that you can obey his will, so that you can walk in his will. And that word masterpiece, that word workmanship speaks of purpose, speaks of a prepared plan. It doesn't speak of an accident. It doesn't speak of something that, that God is not done with. It speaks about stepping into the purpose and the plan that God has for your life. In the New Living Translation, it says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus, so that we do the good things that He planned for us long ago or in advance. God has planned so much for you long ago in advance. He has planned so much for you long ago in advance. He has planned it. And He has a purpose in your plan. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Do you know that God knew you before He formed you in the womb? 
That before he even thought about you, before you were in a thought and imagination, God already knew you and before you were born, I sanctified you, I ordained you a prophet to the nations. What is he telling Isaiah? He had a plan for his life. And he has a plan for your life. See, the word workmanship is so important because God didn't merely save us from the wrath that we rightly deserve. But he also made something beautiful out of us. He wants to make something beautiful out of you. He wants you to be his poema. You see, the word workmanship in the ancient Greek, it is that poema. It's that poem, that beautiful poem. But in the, the Bible, the Jewish Bible, it translates the workmanship as a work of art. That God has so formed, taking his time, and his love has transformed it, that work of his love. Because God's love is a transforming love. It meets you right where you are today. And when you receive His love, it always takes you where you need to be going. But it doesn't happen until you encounter the love of God. See, the love of God will change you. And the love of God will transform you. Here it says, you are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the good works that He prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Once you discover His will, you should live to obey His will. And I want to ask you today, how are you living? Are you living to obey the will of God? Because you cannot live a life for God, I'll tell you this, until you first have received a life from God. And sometimes we try to live a life for Him when we haven't received a life from Him. One of the things that I love about the grace of God is that the grace of God allows us to come to Him boldly. And the grace of God doesn't allow us to live in guilt or in shame. It allows us to live in a place where we are safe and secure in the grace of God, that we don't have to be ashamed of anything. I think too many of the times today we, are, we try to find our identity on our accomplishments and what man says about us, and we let others shape our identity. But the grace of God has already shaped our identity. And it's not about the failures in the past, the past sin, the bondage, the shame, or the guilt that maybe you have experienced that shapes our identity. It's the work of Jesus on the cross when He forgave you and He gave you a new beginning. That's where your identity is found. And today I want you to know that that He makes all things new. He gives everyone a new beginning. The Bible says in in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God has wiped away the slate clean completely and you can have a new beginning and new start because of the grace of God. You see, one of the, my favorite verses in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, where it says, Therefore let us come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's a promise from God. I want you to know that. What does God promise you? What is God telling you? What is God reassuring you of today? It's saying that you can come boldly to the throne of grace. It's saying that you can come confidently to the throne of grace. It's saying that you can come to the throne of grace for purpose, for love, for meaning, for forgiveness. But it, it specifies two things, to come to the throne of grace for two things. It says come to the throne of grace for number one, mercy. And come to the throne of grace for number two, help. You see, I know some of us here, we need mercy. And some of us here, we need help. And it's only found in the throne of grace. You can't find it anywhere else. Sometimes we try to find those two things. We try to find mercy in the world, 
and we try to find help in the world and, and we, we keep looking and we're searching and we think that we found a temporary answer to save us or to cover up the guilt and the shame or the past or the hurt and we want healing. But it's when we come to the throne of grace that we find the number two, one, two things that we've always been looking for and that's mercy and that's help. But think about this. It's in a very specific time that he says that you can find that there. He says, look for it in the time of need. I know some of us have come here today in a time of need. When we need mercy and when we need help. His word encourages us to come boldly to the right place, to the throne of grace. And some of us maybe here have taken a spiritual vacation from God. Where we have checked out and said, you know what, I, I, I am not committed to the Lord as I once used to be. But I need mercy and I need grace. I need help. And this is the time of need. I can only find it through Jesus. Through asking Jesus to come into my life and receive him as my personal Lord and Savior. I want to tell you something. No matter how far, no matter how far the situation is, your value and your worth does not change. And the love in the eyes of God because he loves you and he loves you and he loves you. His grace is much bigger than that. I remember when we had started the Bible study in the attendance was fluctuating and there was one week where I, I felt that you know what there's no one gonna come today it's, it's already past seven and it was just two of us there my wife and my brother there and I remember there was a knock on the door about 735 and it was four girls from the foreign exchange university down the street that had walked to the Bible study they were from Taiwan and they had come to the Bible study that day and they showed up to the doorstep when we gave the Bible study. They had been coming for about six months at the time, attending a Buddhist university, coming from a Buddhist family. There they received the first Bible and they started to know about Jesus. And what had seemed like something that we started with insecurity and fear of the unknown, these four young girls show up. But that day at the end of the study, something really touched my heart. Because one of the girls, after the study, she started to touch her chest. And she said, how can I have the love? She said, how can I have the love? And, and she didn't know how to speak English, so there was somebody translating for her right there in the living room. And she kept pounding her chest and said, I just, I want more of the love. What do I have to do to get the love inside of me? Because I, I don't feel it and I want more of it. The love that you're talking about, I want the love. Not knowing what it was that we needed to get that love. And it was simple, put your faith and your trust in Jesus and get that love. There was a time of need for her. She went to the throne of grace and found help. And she found grace in that time of need. And maybe it's that time of need for you. And you need to feel the love inside. You want the love of God inside your life. The love that transforms. The love that changes. What you do will never change anything. It's the love of God that wants to change things. If you need the love of God, just raise your hand. If you want the Lord to do a work in your life, just raise your hand right now. Because I want to pray for you. Amen. I see you. Amen. I see you. Willie's going to do a song right now. And as he does this song, those that raise your hand, I want you, I'm going to invite you to come forward because I want to pray for you right here. Let's go ahead and just come forward. You raise your hand. You want the love of God. Because I know there's a time of need. Just come forward. Come on. Keep coming. There's more of you there. You want the love of God? Amen. Amen. I know there's more of you sitting there wondering whether it... Should I come up? No, the love of God is drawing you. Come forward. Come on. God is doing a new work. 
Behold, he's doing a new work. He's doing a new work. Keep coming forward. God is calling you right now. We're going to sing this song. There's more of you. Just come forward. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you.